Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Study Break. My name is Melody, and today I am with the hosts of Teen Girls Investigate Crime podcast, Jillian and Izzy. I'm Jillian. And I'm Izzy. Uh, we are the co-hosts of Teen Girls Investigate Crime, which is a true crime podcast, and um, it is one of the very few ones created by teenagers. Kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're from Atlanta, Georgia. We're juniors in high school. Yeah, so we actually started our podcast as a project for our sophomore year, and at first we were just going to do it as like maybe a few episodes, but it wasn't going to be anything really serious, more just like something we were interested in, and here we are, a year and change later. We're going to be talking all about true crime, um, because this will be our annual Halloween tradition. As many of you know, last year, my friend Hazel and I re-recorded a true crime episode as well. Um, It's less professional, but, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it. And this year, I'm really excited to have Jillian and Izzy on because they've been doing this for over a year now, right? You guys just celebrated your one-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and just get started with our first true crime case. Basically, the way this is gonna work is Izzy or Jillian is going to tell us a true crime case that they have spent days researching about. And then um, I have no clue what they're gonna talk about. So this is going to be my firsthand reaction. Um, And then I think you guys touched on this a little bit more on your own podcast. So. For those of you listening, if you guys want to learn about this in depth, then definitely be sure to check out their podcast. All right. You guys want to get started? Yeah, Yeah. let's get started. Um, So the first one I'm going to cover is an episode that we covered, or it's a case that we covered in episode 12 called Dreams Do Come True. And that's the disappearance of Cynthia, uh, Cindy Jane Anderson. Uh, She was born on February 4th of 1961, and she was 20 at the time of her disappearance. So I'm going to get started with some background, and then I'm going to just kind of go in with the case. We have a pretty typical format of background, timeline, and then doing some suspects and theories. So yeah, let's just kick it off with some background. Uh, She was a legal secretary at the time of her disappearance, but she planned on quitting soon, actually, because she wanted to attend Bible college with her boyfriend. She was raised in a pretty strict and religious household, and she was so religious that her whole schedule was just kind of filled with these activities, and that was like this uh, pretty at the center of her life, and her parents said that her faith was one of the most important parts of her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was dating at the time of her disappearance, and her boyfriend was also a member of a church, and he was also very religious, so just a very big aspect of her life. So in 1980, which is about a year before her disappearance, Cindy, who was 20 at the time, began having these crazy nightmares about being abducted and murdered by a stranger. Which is just crazy. It's insane. It's very specific. And she was also having like repetitive dreams, which is super scary. Oh my gosh. Deja vu. That's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So she told her mom about these dreams, actually, because they were just getting so bad. But her mom kind of dismissed her, said it wasn't that important, not a big deal. She shouldn't worry about it. And she was just totally dismissed. So she kind of just went on having these nightmares and going on with her life. And she experienced these nightmares for like the entire year leading up to her disappearance. And they continued up until her actual disappearance, which is just so creepy. That is really like, why not? 
like talk talk to someone like more qualified about that like a dream sport it's scary yeah wait so how did they know that she was dreaming about this was it her mom who recorded this to or reported this to the police yeah I guess she was just very vocal about it too so she kind of told her mom about this before her disappearance and then as soon as she disappeared I guess her mom was kind of talking about it like she probably felt really bad about dismissing her yeah and then her having like disappeared later on is oh yeah for sure the guilt I can't even imagine what she's going through But that wasn't even like the creepiest thing to happen in the months leading up to her disappearance. About 10 months before her disappearance, a message written in graffiti was posted on a building near her office that she worked in. And it was like these huge red messy letters. And it said, I love you, Cindy. And then it was signed by GD. And so this really just spooked out Cindy and her family, but it wasn't even removed for like six months. So she just had to kind of like look at it for six months while she worked. It's just like a creepy reminder yeah. of those like dreams too. Yeah, no, if it was me, I would leave immediately. <laughs> that yeah. is so terrifying. So that happened and that was just super creepy, but apparently it was later proved by investigators to have just been made by someone else who intended it for a different Cindy, which like, you know, it could have been true, but like also like I put it, I don't know. How many other Cindy's in that area are there? I mean, probably a lot. That's a common yeah, name. <laughs> but it's still, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Wait, and so was, where, where was she from? Uh, she was from somewhere in the southeast. But I'm not entirely sure of that. Yeah, because I'm like, well, it depends on the location, right? If she lives in a mm-hmm. more rural area and someone's like, oh, Cindy, I love you so much. Like, that's, yeah, then it would be weird. Yeah, that's like super specific. Toledo, Ohio. So I think that's pretty suburban. Yes. <laughs> I'm not very familiar. I've never familiar. been to Ohio. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know how many Cindy's there were, but that was kind of the only investigation, which is a little weird because that seems very targeted. Yeah. Even if it wasn't necessarily for her. And it's so creepy. Like it's yeah. also like follow into. Who's this GD person though? I don't know. You may never know. So when we were actually talking about this case in our episode, we kind of started hypothesizing that it was maybe someone who actually knew her that wrote this because of, and we started kind of spiraling a little bit, but we thought maybe <laughs> maybe GD had something to do with God yeah. because of her really like religious connection in her life. Maybe it was someone trying to like, I don't know, mess with her. And someone who knew about it, like her, like faith that was such a big part of her life. Yeah. Too. Whoa. Wait, what was the name of her boyfriend? Um, it was never It's never reported, anywhere. actually. Huh. And I feel like they do that with a lot of crime cases just because, like, he wasn't a person of interest or anything. So they don't want to, like, get his name out there and potentially, like... True. Like, yeah, but... Make him a the suspicious person. This note is just totally nuts because the only investigation they really did was, like, figuring out who this guy was and then just kind of asking him, hey... Who was this for? He said it was for another Cindy, and then that was it. And so, kind of weird. And then she kept getting these threatening and creepy phone calls where someone would be like whispering threats to her or breathing into the phone. Uh, if I were this is, <laughs> yeah, no, this is why I don't pick up uh, phone calls by random numbers. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so she's just like already having a super like spooky, creepy experience. 
And then on August 4th of 1981, in the morning, she went to work that morning as usual. And she was usually alone in her office all morning. So she kept the door locked, totally normal. And especially since her employers knew that she was having these weird dreams and getting these phone calls and the graffiti, they just installed this emergency button for her. So if she ever felt threatened, she could alert the authorities, which is like pretty nice of them, actually. It's like yeah. very considerate. And wasn't it a law firm too? Yeah, I think so. Like, I just feel like that's very considerate for lawyers to do. I don't know. Um, but however, despite the how nice this may have seemed, she was in a pretty toxic and like just not great work environment. Um, and she had planned to leave her job because of the toxicity and she had actually put in her two weeks notice and was going to Bible college, as I kind of mentioned earlier, but she was, it was also had to do with how toxic of a work environment she was in. Mm -hmm. So on the same day, around 12 PM, two of her coworkers arrived in the office. And the first thing they noticed was the smell of nail polish remover that kind of lingered in the air. However, it's important to note just keep this in your head for later, <laughs> that chloroform also happens to smell similar, similar, similarly than that. <laughs> so while they probably thought it was a pretty innocent thing at the time, like nail polish remover, it could have actually been chloroform, which is something that's used that like to basically knock you out. Like that's so creepy. You inhale it and you pass out. Dang. Yeah. I have such a fear of chloroform. Actually. <laughs> um, and the doors were locked from the inside and the radio lights and air conditioner were all on. So it seems like Cindy was there. She was going to be there. But she wasn't. But it seems like she had been there because there, all these things were on and there was actually no signs of struggle in the office. And the door was still locked, which is just super strange. That is really weird. Um, the only things that were missing were Cindy's car keys and her purse. And this is kind of weird because if someone went in there with like the intention to rob the office, then if they took Cindy, why only bother to take like her purse and keys? It doesn't really seem like a robbery to me, right? Yeah. Um, also, if she chose to leave on her own like decision, this kind of makes no sense because she could just like, like well, why did she just leave? No, yeah. Why would she leave work and make all of the like... Like, why would she keep the door locked? Why would, like, it doesn't, like, why not just not show up to work? Yeah. Or, like, if you're going to leave, at least, like, be courteous and turn off the radio and stuff. <laughs> Save electricity. Turn off the lights. Yeah. yeah. That's really weird. weird. Is it, like, someone she knows? Because that's, like, the only valid reason, right? Unless she was suffering with some sort of mental illness, like mm -hmm. schizophrenia or something, where she was experiencing hallucinations, and then she, like, went to follow that. Yeah, like maybe she let someone in and then locked the door behind them because she didn't suspect anything. Yeah. Um, okay, and then this is even where this whole case gets so much <laughs> creepier because, you know, that's still possible. Um, there was this book that Cindy was reading that was like left open on her desk. And the part of the book that it was open to was the only violent scene in the entire book. Like, it was, like, this, like, romance book, and there was just, like, one little violent scene in the whole entire thing, and that's the page that it's left open to. And in the scene, the main character was being abducted at knife point. Oh, my God. I just, I don't know how, like, more coincidental this case can get. Yeah, and, like, who leaves a book open just, like, laying on the desk? Like, <laughs> you know, you do that, that's what you're, that's what you're <laughs> doing now. <laughs> that's just, I can't stop thinking about that. I'm sorry. 
That's true. Like you can use a bookmark, you can fold the page. There's so many other options. It definitely seems intentional. Okay, I have a theory and it's that maybe she was reading the book. So she was just like chilling in her office and then she was reading the book. She got to this only violent scene because, you know, maybe she was suffering with something and then it like triggered her. And then, you know, she just left. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I don't even know if we've ever considered that. No, we haven't considered I like... Oh my, that actually could. That like, makes that a lot does of sense. Make a lot Especially of sense. with all those nightmares and stuff. Yeah. Like, there's no, I mean, I guess there's technically no confirmation of those phone calls ever existed. Yeah, like she couldn't have been making them up. I don't know. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some more theories right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, did I just solve something? <laughs> I, no, like you might have just solved the whole case. I've never thought about that before. So a couple of the main theories, are, I'm going to get into those now. Um, the first one is that she had this obsessed stalker. Um, so the theory kind of starts with that Cindy was being stalked in the year or so leading up to her disappearance. The note could have been written by her stalker and those phone calls could have also been from them. Very stalker-like behavior. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of makes sense because whoever committed this crime kind of knew her schedule. Yeah. Because of like when she went into work, knew that she'd be alone at that time. Like it, someone must have been watching her or just really knew her schedule. Yeah. And then I feel like another thing that's like kind of to the point of like a stalker is usually stalkers, I feel like their crimes aren't as violent. Like they're not crimes of passion. They feel more connected to the person than really have the like need to hurt them. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why there wasn't any sign of struggle or that's why she's never been found today, right? Yeah. So another theory is that she was murdered for knowing too much about a drug conspiracy involving attorneys at her office. So two attorneys that worked in her office were caught in this whole drug conspiracy thing after her disappearance. And it was kind of rumored that she'd overheard this conversation they had. And so she was kind of aware of the situation. And I guess they found out about it. Mm-hmm. And one of them testified in their trial about this, that they'd kidnapped and murdered her. What? Which I don't know, like, in what situation you testify to that in a drug trial, but... Yeah, wouldn't that just, like, worsen your... I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it makes you look really suspicious. Yeah, and even worse all around. Yeah. And I guess it would kind of make sense because they had this access to the office. But, like, I don't really think this would happen because if that was so, like, probable and this is exactly what happened, wouldn't this case be solved? Yeah. Like, like, explain that to me. If it's so cut and dry, wouldn't this case be solved? They would have looked into it further after that person, like, said that they did it in their trial and then probably been, like, I mean, they probably discredited it if, since that person did say it in a legal trial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the final reason, which I actually find to be, like, the most probable, is that she staged her own disappearance. And that kind of connects with the book thing, too. Yeah, and so I think there's two pretty big reasons why. The first is that she wanted to run away from her work life, and maybe she felt, as much as her parents kind of talked about how much she loved church, maybe it was possible she felt like she was very forced into that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we don't really know this for sure, yeah. but only her parents have really commented on her committedness to it mm-hmm. rather than other people in her life. So it's possible she could have felt very forced into that or just she was very overwhelmed by her work life. And if there's this drug yeah. conspiracy that she knows about that could have stressed her out enough. Exactly. And then the other reason is that she was crazy and mentally unstable, which is kind of what you were talking about earlier. <laughs> 
we just didn't go too much into like the like theory I guess of it yeah but um she could have just really taken her purse and keys and left and then left the book open as like kind of like a red herring for investigators so like they saw it and they're like oh someone did this like and this was the clue that they left yeah in reality she had left it um, and then the nightmares and paranoia could have, like, led up to her going crazy. So maybe she, like, that kind of pushed her over the edge. And especially because she was being, like, very ignored by the people in her life. Mm-hmm. And, like, dismissed. Mm. And also, now I can't get over that book thing. It's really creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the case. Uh, we go over it a little bit more in depth in our episodes. If you want to check that out, definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Izzy, I think, is going to get into our second true crime case of the day. Yeah. So before we get to that, let's talk a little bit more about this case. One, the fact is that it's she's still gone. Like, no one really knows where she is till this day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, right now, I'm on the wiki page for this. Mm-hmm. There's, like, an Unsolved Mysteries wiki and so um they said that the initial was gw by the way really did they yeah i don't know i'm wondering if like anything's been updated um let me show you and then they said it disappeared or it was visible for six months it was covered up and then it reappeared again Ooh, which makes it super super creepy yeah huh we did okay so we did research on this case like almost a year ago yeah, almost a year ago now oh um, so it's possible things could have been updated i do remember the source that i read definitely said gd maybe that could have been a here let me check it with another source i mean if it did change that's kind of crazy because this is just a wiki so i don't know if that's really reliable compared to yours which i trust a lot more but either way, this is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And I just, I mean, it's just, it's honestly crazy how she disappeared without a trace almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I, this case has always kind of just spooked me out. Yeah. And I feel like it's been covered a lot, but yet it's not talked about very much. Yeah. No, I've never heard of this. Like right now I'm on Google and I'm like seeing Crime Junkie cover it, Unsolved, Mm -hmm. BuzzFeed Unsolved cover it. Let's go ahead and get started with our second case. Hopefully if you're listening, um, hope you're doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this one is even more spooky. This one is just really, honestly, I just like, this one boggles my mind. This one I still think about to this day, and we did this case, I think, last January, February. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is the Patricia Meehan case, and I know it's very obscure. Like, I, I've never heard of this case anywhere else, and yeah, so I'm kind of shocked it's never been covered anywhere, but Patricia Meehan was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she had, like, a pretty average but pretty good childhood. Like, there was nothing that was really, like, she didn't have a bad childhood. There was nothing that stood out to the investigators that was worth mentioning. So she attended college in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and she got a degree in early childhood development in order to pursue a career working at a daycare. And in 1985, she decided to change careers and she moved to Bozeman, Montana. I think that's how you pronounce that. Um, yeah, we, we never pronounce things right. If, 
Yeah. And- you know, actually, really funny thing. Last year, when I recorded the episode with my friend Hazel, um, mm-hmm. the Halloween episode, um, she was reading a case that she wanted to tell me about. And I've never heard of this. So she started saying like Perusian blue, which is like a type of poison. And mm-hmm. but then I just like followed through with it. I was like, oh, Perusian. I, I've never heard of that before. It must be a chemical or something. Um, turns out it was Prussian blue. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so now until this day, we're still joking about that. The entire episode is just us mispronouncing the word. Oh, oh my God. That is hilarious. We've definitely had some mishaps like that in our episodes, like really bad ones. <laughs> really bad ones. I remember one time in one of our earlier episodes, um, we were calling a girl by the wrong name the entire episode. Like we were calling her Re- Rachel. Her yeah. name was Rebecca, but we were Oh my god. <laughs> and then I realized I think one of us realized it at the very end and we were like, oh my god, we we're so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was also calling like Stan Smith's shoes, Sam Smith's shoes for literally Sam my Smith. my entire life. And I was like, oh Jillian, like I like your Sam Smiths. And she was like, What do you what? She's <laughs> yeah. like Sam Smith, the singer shows up. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like, those aren't my shoes, but yeah, so we are not the best with pronunciation. Um, anyways, she ended up working as a ranch hand there in Montana because she just like loved animals and she worked other jobs in addition to that in order to like financially support herself. And I mean, like just by the jobs that she did and what she pursued, like as a ranch hand and then also as like a daycare teacher, you can tell that she was very like kind and like almost like she wanted to help others yeah very social based person or service based person Mm -hmm. and the day before her disappearance which was april 19th 1989 she spoke to her dad and said that she was like really stressed out and that she wanted to come home and her like her landlord like who was the last person to see her before her disappearance actually claimed that she was behaving strangely and that she seemed really hyper like the days leading up to her disappearance and I mean like that seems to be kind of odd thing to notice like I don't know I don't know maybe she was just excited about something or is he's hyper all the time I am hyper all the time (laughs) or like maybe she just had one too many cups of coffee that day but yeah apparently she was just having kind of a hard time the days leading up to her disappearance and her parents knew about it and obviously her landlord noted something was off So I'm going to get into the timeline. So the night of April 20th of 1989, on a windy and dark country road near Circle, Montana, Patricia was driving like every other night, and then all of a sudden she swerved to the wrong side of the road and almost hit another car head on. And seconds later, the cars collided, which was um, a different car. And the witness, Carol Heights, who was in the car that she almost hit, said that she saw Patricia appear from the wreckage in a daze and it appeared to Carol that she only had like very small and minor injuries like nothing major however she would have like had no way of knowing that the crash would have actually caused Patricia to like lose her short-term memory for the rest of her life which we'll get into later oh my gosh yeah so she had no really like nothing no bad external injuries like it was nothing that would have led to like I guess nothing visible Nothing Nothing visibly was wrong with her. She was able to get out of her car. Yeah. And Carol, who is the driver of the car, 
um, is quoted saying that Patricia, quote, just stared. She never said anything. She just stared at me and I will never forget her, which is so creepy. I, I cannot imagine like witnessing an accident and then the lady gets out of the car and just like stares at you. And then Patricia literally just walked away silently in a daze and hopped over a fence and then was never seen again. Or was she? So the days following her disappearance, almost directly after she disappeared into the woods and the crash was reported, the search began. And after the police identified her car and knew that it was Patricia, they alerted her family. And the search for Patricia was immediate and the police uncovered a set of fresh tennis shoe tracks about 0.75 miles away from the original crash site. And they followed these tracks until about 3 a.m., which was when they lost them. And the family and police deployed ground searches and helicopter searches, and there were absolutely no sightings of her or leads in those days. And another super weird detail that I found is that apparently her family found a roll of undeveloped film. And when they actually developed it, they discovered a really haunting self-portrait of Patricia that was analyzed by psychologists. And there were some weird, like, things that they pointed out about it, like, there were apparently really weird details in it that psychologists noted, but they never released it. Which I'm like, why wouldn't you ever release that? I feel like that's so interesting. Yeah, maybe it's like, I don't know. What if it's an invasion of privacy? I have no clue. Yeah. Or like some clue that they're like holding tight to the chest that they don't want to like release to the public. True, yeah, because what if it's related to the police? Like, I don't know, it's just other theories. What if it's, like, incriminating to someone that they don't really want to be incriminated? Right, exactly. Okay, so there have been over 5,000 alleged sightings of Patricia since 1989. Yeah, 5,000. And the first sighting is actually from May 4th of 1989, and I mean, we won't go into detail here, but they're all described on episode 13. And they like, there were just some crazy ones. Like she was seen in restaurants and she's always very quiet in the sighting. She's never making a rap. Like she's never being loud. She never asks for help. She's just always being relatively quiet. And they continued after this. And by June of 1989, there were over 25 reported sightings of her. And these sightings are from all over the the northern and midwestern states. And I think a big chunk of these have actually been confirmed by police too, which is like even the crazier thing. I don't know. Like, I just feel like the fact that she keeps getting seen but people don't really realize that it's weird at the time until they like report it or until they look into it, especially since she's never acting strangely other than the fact that she's just being very quiet. So the theories about this case is that she had amnesia. So Patricia has been seen in various locations throughout the time that she's been missing. And she always behaves really strangely in these reported sightings. For example, like she sat in a restaurant alone for like five hours for one time and she never ordered anything but water, which is really odd. I don't know. And she ended up having to be asked. It's not odd. It's really rude. (laughs) Yeah, it is really rude. As someone who has worked in the like food service industry. um, But like, I just, 
all of these sightings are just really weird. And this would make sense because of, like the predicted head trauma that you would have endured during the accident. True. So maybe, yeah, maybe that was literally like she just keeps forgetting and potentially like doesn't know her name, doesn't know where she is. And it's just strange to me because if that was the case, she probably would have found someone and asked for help, right? Yeah, like almost immediately, you'd think, like if she was lost or didn't know where she was. And the next theory is that she's a runaway. So Patricia was apparently under stress and quote-unquote hyper by her landlord leading up to her disappearance. I mean, maybe she could have seen the accident or staged the accident as like the perfect opportunity to leave her life behind and start anew. And I mean, it would explain the various sightings of her and her unwillingness to provide her name and where she was from during these sightings. But at the same time, I feel like that's not really probable because wouldn't she try and be under the radar a bit? Yeah, and also, like, her life, she didn't have a lot of, like, direct attachments to things. She had moved around a lot. Her family mm-hmm. lived somewhere else. She didn't have any kids. She wasn't married. Like, I feel like if she wanted to do something different with she her life, could. she could have. Like, like, there wasn't much to purposefully run away from. Yeah. And the next one is the most interesting one. And I think, Jillian, you came up with this one when we first recorded the episode. Yeah. So there's actually a really small possibility that maybe she was abducted after the accident. And I mean, I think we thought about this one at first because like, obviously we're true crime podcasts. So we were like, okay, we got to sprinkle in a little bit of true crime here. But then like the more we talked about it, the more it made sense. So maybe she was abducted after wandering away from the accident site in a state of confusion And someone could have taken her from like a dark secluded street or dirt road or somewhere in the forest. But I mean, like, this is very plausible because that wouldn't explain like some of the many probably accurate sightings of her. And I mean, but there is something because it could be possible based on the sightings right after her disappearance that she was abducted and then went on to escape her kidnapper with no knowledge of who she was. So maybe it was kind of a mix of both of them. Like maybe she got abducted, had the short-term memory loss, and she eventually escaped. But like, it just like kept getting more and more convoluted as the years went on. And finally, the most sad and honestly, I honestly actually don't think that this one is very possible. No. But death. But there's like, I mean, there's obviously you got to point out the possibility that she wandered into the forest confused and died due to an injury that she endured during the accident. Like she didn't have visible injuries, but she could have definitely had Maybe she had like a brain bleed or something. But I mean, this isn't plausible because her body was never found. Like she wouldn't have been buried, buried, buried. And she most likely wasn't like, like hiding out somewhere where she wouldn't have been found. So yeah, and, like, the place covered a lot of land yeah. in their searches. there was extensive ground and air searches, so. And then, like, what are all these sightings of her? Yeah, she, like, that those have to mean something. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah, thousand sightings, and some of them are confirmed, so that also disproves the potential death theory. Yeah, that's, this is a really strange one. Well, like, I think right now, the one part that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, and I was, like, trying to look up if there was more information on it, but when mm-hmm. we're pointing out how um, the day beforehand, right, she was telling her family how she wanted to come home. She was feeling really stressed. But then the last person 
to see her was her landlord. I don't know when this was, but the fact that you seem hyper and then all of a sudden you feel stressed, it's like two different emotions and you can tell, right? Because being hyper, I feel like it's more feeling excited. It's Mm -hmm. a positive connotation, right? Compared to being stressed, which is like really negative and you're like, oh my gosh, anxiety, um, everything that you're feeling. It's just, there's a huge contrast there and it doesn't really make sense which makes me kind of suspicious of her landlord, if anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, why was it doesn't make sense? Because of course, she's going to be telling the truth to her parents and just about like, in general, how she was feeling. So why is and also, like noticing that someone is hyper something that I feel like isn't very common. Like, I'm not gonna like, go tell (laughs) Oh, you're very hyper and not in passing. Like, yeah. if you were to spend time with someone, I you could I could see being like, oh, you're pretty hyper right now. Yeah. But, like, to just quickly walk by, so like, your, like, landlord and be like, oh, hey, what's up? And then he was like, oh, you're hyper today. No, you wouldn't be able to determine that, right? Like, like unless hyper... she was bouncing off the walls. No, like, <laughs> I, like, exactly. Like, hyperactivity, I feel like, doesn't really show itself unless you're with someone for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. Right. But, like, that's a weird descriptor. Like, I mean... He could have just been a weird dude. <laughs> I mean, he could have. He could have just not been able to read social cues very well. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that I just feel like that's a really weird, um, just a weird adjective to use, you know, like of all the yeah. words in the English language, hyper. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've always thought about that. It's always stood out to me a lot. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I was reading... Uh, the other wiki for it (laughs) um and then they were saying how she was um actually depressed previously like her family knew about it was it because she like wanted a child but she couldn't or something I didn't read it carefully but I think it's related to how like she wanted a kid yeah yeah and then so she got that childhood development degree Mm -hmm. um she worked at a daycare it reminds me a lot of hold on let me let me google it I can't remember it right now I learned this in my um psychology class so if my psych teacher is listening to this you know (laughs) please be proud of me (laughs) yeah um but yeah she had struggled with depression in the past and I think we touched on that more in our episode we did on our podcast yeah and she I mean it was definitely something I think she struggled with in her I think her younger adulthood, it wasn't necessarily as a parent when she was older, but I think she was always someone who wanted to be a mother and maybe that just wasn't in the cards for her at that point. Right. So she decided to pursue like a career in education where she could be around kids all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the case I was talking about is Andrea Yates. Have you I heard of that? I think I have heard of that case. You know, I don't know if I have. Okay, so it's basically um, Andrea Yates. Uh, she like killed all her five children from mm-hmm. like six years old to only a baby that was like a few months old. Um, yeah. And then like we learned about that in Psych because we wanted to analyze like maybe her motivations, whether it's like biological based off like her family's history of depression. Or mm-hmm. if it's, like, based off her environment, her relationship with her husband, um, drug use, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, like, kind of reminded me of this case that we're talking about with Patricia. Um, and it's just, 
I don't know. I feel like both of the cases we were talking about with Patricia and uh, Cindy, it's all like related to, I feel like it's themselves. Like it, it must be something yeah. related to mental health because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's nothing that shows they struggled um, with someone else, you know, there wasn't any suspects. So yeah. I don't know. It's very strange. Your psych class sounds so much more interesting yeah, than mine. <laughs> it's all yeah. I learned about is research methods. Yeah. Oh, I mean, research yeah. methods. I remember that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess it's a, another part of the reason what makes these cases so spooky. It's like these two women disappeared apparently into absolutely thin air. Right. Like, And so then you have to debate, was it something that was like up with them or is there... Were the police just, like, so unable to, you know, discover what happened to them? Yeah. Exactly. So, it's just, I think it's just crazy. And, you know, I wonder if there's people who are still actively trying to solve this, you know, whether it's the true Mm -hmm. crime community. um, Because I do know the true crime community is absolutely insane. They can, like, (laughs) actually be a huge factor in solving some crimes now. Yeah, I think, I think we're all a little bit kooky. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. I mean, I feel like as you get more and more involved in true crime, you slowly, it's almost like, I, as you get more and more involved, you learn about more and more cases, you kind of are able to connect the pieces a little bit more. Right. Unlike other cases that have, that are unsolved or have big gaps. So I think all of us are just a little bit crazy. Like I personally feel a little bit crazy when like people, I always get asked questions or we do Mm -hmm. at school where it's like, oh, what's a project that you did that you like went above and beyond on? And I'm like, oh, I I made a true crime podcast. And people are are either like, oh, that's cool. Or they're like, why? (laughs) And it's just like, Because it's not usual you'll see, like, teen girls doing that, you know? And I think um, it's really cool how, you know, we're able to explore that genre a little bit more since, Mm -hmm. like, traditionally speaking, true crime is a little bit gory, like, probably not suitable for teens. Um, But I feel like there's, there's definitely this division between, like, what you find comfortable versus what others find comfortable with. So it's all about you know, being wise when you're consuming content. Yeah, definitely. I think part of it was when we decided to make a true crime podcast, it was that we were very interested in true crime, which is definitely abnormal for people our age. But whenever we listen to true crime podcasts, we didn't have this like great like connection with all of the podcasts because it was like there was this age divide. So we kind of just thought, you know, let's try it. And we actually, like, yeah. there's a lot of people that have either listened to our podcast because they just, they knew us and, like, checked it out. And then they're, like, now interested in true crime. Or, like, we've just, we found people that are just like us, like, teens that like true crime. Yeah. Right, like exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, establish a whole community. Like, I love that. I wanted to get into a little bit of Halloween riddles. I don't think we're gonna have time to go over everything I have here um so let me just quickly look through this and find a good one all right 
I will say we've both been very excited for these riddles. Today. Yes. We've just been talking about like, oh my gosh. I feel like I haven't solved a riddle in like years. <laughs> yeah, no. So some of these are really really dark other ones are like kind of funny and then the other ones are like oh my gosh why didn't I think of that mm-hmm. we'll start off with something a little bit easier uh this one is called poisonous pills mm-hmm. serial killer kidnapped five different people and sat them down each with two pills in their hand and a glass of water he told them each to take one pill but warned them that one was poisonous and the other was harmless Whichever pill the victim didn't take, the serial killer would take. Every victim somehow chose the poisonous pill and died. How did the serial killer get them all to take the poisonous pill? Both of the pills were poisonous. Well, no, the serial killer took the pill that they didn't take. Oh, okay. Maybe. I've literally, I watched, oh my gosh, I feel like I've, heard about something no I don't know this is a pretty Um, popular one uh maybe both or maybe one of them had like both of them had (laughs) maybe like he both of them had poison in them but it was like he had a built-up immunity to it (laughs) Like, the guy in That's actually time. a good, yeah, that's a good answer. It's not right, but it's a good answer. <laughs> He's a serial killer, so he must have, you know, yeah. he, had to, he had to kill people. It wouldn't make sense if he didn't. Built different. Um, this is the easy one? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, tell us. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Yes. So, neither of the pills were poisonous. Basically, <gasps> the poison was in the water that all the victims oh. used to swallow their pill. Oh, that is... That's good, actually. That's, that's really, really good. good. <laughs> right? This, this like, blew my mind. I was like, it's so simple, yet it got yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Uh, let's move on to the next one. I think this one is pretty funny. And by saying that, it is kind of a hint. So... Uh, this one, I just created a name called Man Outside Yard. (laughs) (laughs) One winter day, there was a man standing in the middle of someone's front yard. The person stayed there for several weeks without moving, and the owner of the yard didn't mind. Eventually, the man left. Who was he? He was a snowman. Yeah! (laughs) What? (laughs) Did you know that? Well, it melted. It was snow. Oh. I never said melt. How did you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because it was snowy and he's standing there, didn't move. But like the I think what really got me was the fact that the person who was living in the house didn't mind. Yeah, I was going to say a mannequin. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, good job. I didn't get this one. I thought this was harder than the last one. It took me such a long time. I was like, why, why would he not mind? <laughs> okay, so this one is very dark. Okay. Love at funeral. A girl is at the funeral of her mother. She meets a nice guy that she didn't know who also was at the funeral, and they hit it off immediately. She was busy at the funeral and didn't have time to ask him for his number before he left. She tried really hard to track him down. 
but no one knew who he was or how to contact him. A few days later, her sister dies, and the police suspects it was a murder. Who killed her sister? Uh, she did. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Wait, what's, what, what's the relevance of the guy then? Exactly. I was going to say maybe the guy killed her mom. But then I was like, that, that, maybe it was like a, uh, but it, not Adam and Eve. What are the what? duo that like killed a bunch of people and robbed banks? Oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't think about it. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde. Hansel and Gretel. Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. Hansel and Gretel. I don't know. Wait, this is a hard yeah, one. Yeah, this one's hard. If it's so, it's not her. It's not. Is it the dude? Like that seems too obvious. No, that is too obvious. Turns out it was her mom from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> she just never died. Uh, they don't know who this dude is. They couldn't get in contact with him. Do you want me to say it again? No, just tell us the answer. I'm no, just wait, like, right. was it her sister's husband? No. Nope. Sister's boyfriend. No. The funeral shop owner who needed money. <laughs> that one's funny, but no. Um, <laughs> I will say this. This is a dark answer. Um, and you guys did say the right answer before, but you didn't give the right reason. Oh. Oh. Ooh, okay. Um sister maybe or the dude okay that would be so obvious and like what's the reasoning behind that yeah focus on the reason focus on the motive like who would kill her sister and what's the motivation oh that dude was her sister's boyfriend and she heard that her sister was talking to the guy at the funeral and then she was like uh what and then the dude killed her because he wanted to be with his sister. Jillian's like, mm, no. no. <laughs> um, we, okay, so I was going to bring up the dad, but that can't, we already said the answer. Yeah. So it's all about motive. Um, Maybe it was the sister. Not the, 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 the like, main girl? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I thought made sense. I just don't know why. Yeah, why would she do it? She did um, it because she was getting inheritance, and it went to her sister first. That's no. Good. Oh. oh. <laughs> that that, that is good. I thought, I thought yeah. you got it. Think about the fact that this is like a really dark answer. Um, dark and it answer. does have something related to do with um, the guy. The guy killed the sister because he wanted to eat her. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I don't know. You said it was dark. I... Well, it has to relate to the mom, because the mom wouldn't have been meant, like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have, but what if, what if that was just, like, meant to trip you up? <laughs> oh my the God. guy is the Grim Reaper. <gasps> and, Whoa, ooh, that just, that's actually such a good one. Think about it, he was at a right? funeral, and then the sister yeah. ended up dying. Yeah, and then he, he, and he, like, that's, I don't know, I feel like that makes sense. It's not the answer, you though. Run a riddle. <laughs> okay, so, um. I'm gonna give it to you. Okay. That you're basically right. No <gasps> joke. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay, so um she was the one who killed her sister. Um the reasoning behind that was because she was hoping that if someone else in her family died, the man she met at her mother's funeral <gasps> would show up again. Oh, oh my god. Did he show up? <laughs> 
I don't know. I'm pretty sure this is a made up riddle. That's creepy. Huh. Oh my god. I, that's I should have thought of that. That like makes sense. Like I should have thought of that. I have never thought of that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm talking about like how like she needed, like she couldn't find him and like that was like the only place. I don't know. Kind of makes sense. Oh yeah it's a good one so that's you know like- it would actually make sense like we can go on to theorize that she or no the guy is the grim reaper like yeah he shows up for every death yeah Ooh, yeah i mean you never know right and he just like left quickly oh my god i've never thought about doing riddles like that that's such a good idea like you could do a full-length episode on that <laughs> right exactly and it was so fun All right, and that's all the riddles we have time for today. So that will be the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for coming on my show. Where can my listeners connect with you? Uh, Yeah, so we're available on most podcast platforms, definitely all the main ones, Spotify, Mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts. If you want to look us up there, we're Teen Girls Investigate Crime. Um, And then you can also follow us on TikTok and Instagram at tgic.podcast. Also, be sure to follow Study Break's Instagram at the Study Break Podcast, as well as tuning into your favorite podcast app, follow Study Break there, and listen to a new episode every Tuesday. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you have an amazing day. Bye, everyone. Bye.